Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning once again, just thanking you for the privilege it is to gather together to worship you and to gather around your word. Father, we recognize this morning that you are holy and that you are awesome. And Lord, it is because of your grace that we are even able to assemble here this morning. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we know that one day, Lord Jesus, that you are going to come again and you're going to establish your physical kingdom here on this earth. And Lord, we long for that day. Father, I pray now that as we enter into this time of, of study, Lord Jesus, that you will just speak to each and every one of our hearts. Father, if there's any unconfessed sin that we have, Lord, make that abundantly clear to us now so that we can confess that. And Lord, you will forgive us. Father, we want to be clean vessels that you can speak to and work through this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing to walk through Matthew chapter 6 together, and we're going, we've been looking at um, three disciplines. Last week we looked at the discipline of giving. This week we're looking at the discipline of prayer, and next week we'll look at the discipline of fasting. And so I'm looking forward to us just diving into what prayer looks like this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have um, grew up saying the Lord's Prayer? Maybe it was at school, or maybe it was in your home, or like me, I remember before every football game and baseball game, we would always, when I was in high school, we would always take a knee, and we would say the Lord's Prayer. In fact, let's just say the Lord's Prayer together this morning. You'll see it up here on the screen. Um, we've got the doxology at the, big, at the end of this, kind of like we probably said it growing up, but let's say this together. You ready? Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, people have had all kinds of experiences with the Lord's Prayer. I came across this list that was put together by a pastor by the name of Brian Bill, and he compiled this list of stories. And, and the first one goes, when I was a child, I learned this prayer as our Father who are in heaven, Howard be thy name. I always thought Howard was God's name is what this person says. When I was younger, I believed the line was lead a snot into temptation. I thought I was praying for my little sister to get in trouble. And another one, I remember thinking this prayer was give us this day our jelly bread. And one mother was teaching her child to pray the Lord's Prayer. And after um, a few days of walking with her through that, the girl was ready to go solo. And so she came to the end of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. <laughs> Thought that these were pretty good little cute stories. But Jesus warned his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You know, Jesus makes it clear that practicing these disciplines are not to be done in the public arena, but they are to be done in private. He sternly warns the disciples and us not to live hypocritical lives. You know, the hypocrites were all about themselves, weren't they? All about drawing attention upon themselves. In fact, Jesus speaks frequently about the hypocrites in Scripture. And some of the harshest words that he spoke were directed at the hypocrites. Brenning Manning said, and we looked at this last week, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Believable. Hypocrite is a word that was coined by the Greek meaning mask wearer. Today we refer to a hypocrite as someone who, who, who claims to live their lives one way and believe one way, but live totally opposite and totally separate. When it came to giving, praying, and fasting, those were disciplines the Pharisees liked to practice in the public arena to draw attention to themselves and not to God the Father. So let's walk through this morning just what it means to pray and what prayer should look like. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 15 together this morning. Last week, we looked at a few of these verses together, um, verses 5 through 8. And so we're going to hit on these just a little bit this morning, and then we'll dive into the Lord's Prayer um, later on in our message. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, beginning in verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Notice what Jesus says three times between verses 5 and He says, when you pray. It's when you pray, not if you pray. Just like last week, we looked at when you give, not if you give. William Ironside once wrote, referencing the Lord's Prayer, he said, Think of the privilege of sitting at the feet of the great intercessor himself and hearing him tell us how to pray. Isn't that just a beautiful um, um, sentence right there? I mean, let's imagine this morning as we dive into God's word that we're all sitting at the feet of our master, listening and learning from him how we are to pray together. Notice the first point this morning is this, the place for prayer. The place for prayer. In verses 5 and 6 again we read, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street 
corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. A good Jew would pray three times a day. They would pray at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, as well as at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And wherever a person was at those given times, they would stop and pray. um, Some, knowing that prayer time was approaching, what they would actually do is they would retreat from the public eye and prepare themselves for prayer. And they would indeed pray in secret. Others, like the Pharisees and the hypocrites, what they would do is they would make sure at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 3 in the afternoon that they were right in the center where all of the chaos was, whether that was in the synagogue or on a busy street corner. And they would pray in such a way that they would draw attention upon themselves. You know, let me ask you a question. Have you ever um, caught yourself when you've been praying in the public arena, praying a prayer for the benefit of others instead of a prayer directed at God the Father? You know, I'll be honest with you. There have been times in my life when I've done that. Um, there have been times when I may be in a, in a room full of a bunch of pastors or in a room full of a bunch of leaders, and I've caught myself praying wise and eloquent words, or I've been praying in a persuasive way, not for the benefit of God the Father hearing me, but my fellow man hearing me. And here's the problem with that. When I prayed that way, I prayed like a hypocrite. And if you and I are not careful, we can all find ourselves praying in a hypocritical manner when we are more concerned about those that are around us hearing our prayers than we are God the Father hearing our prayers. And, and, and we need to just... Um, recognize the fact that Jesus tells us to guard against praying that way. In Matthew 6, 6, we read, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, character is not developed in the public arena. Character is developed when no one can hear us or see us. And there's some truth to that statement, isn't it? When you and I are in the privacy of our own homes or in the privacy of, of our offices or whatever, that is where character is developed. Character is not developed in a room like this or in, in, in the public arena. It's developed in private. And we need to be people who pray in such a way that we are seeking to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not seeking to... to be wise and persuasive with those that are around us. Notice the second point here is this. There is the plea for prayer. In verse 7 and 8 we read, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Notice that our prayers are not to be full of meaningless words, nor are our prayers to be scripted. The Lord's Prayer was given to us not to be read and prayed verbatim, but it was given to us as an example of how we are to pray. You know, um, I think all of us have probably 
at one stage or another, prayed a scripted prayer. I remember um, I would frequently go to my grandmother's house when I was growing up, and we would, and she would always make me pray this prayer. And I, I emphasize, make me pray this prayer at night. And this prayer, uh, many of you may have prayed this even growing up, but it was this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Have you ever in your life heard a more morbid prayer than that one right there? I mean, are you kidding me? I wish I was smart enough at that time to turn to my grandmother and say, there's no way I'm going to pray this prayer. Um, but I wasn't. And, and here's the reality. My grandmother lived in Pleasant Grove. And so if you know anything about Pleasant Grove, death was a real reality. So maybe she was just preparing me for what could indeed happen at night. When you and I pray, we do not need to pray scripted prayers. We need to pray from our heart. And we need to pray for God to show up in, in, in a mighty, powerful way in our midst. We are not to pray script to prayers. That is why Je- that's what Jesus was warning the disciples against. In verse 7 we read, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know, we don't have to pray a long, drawn-out prayer. We pray for God's will to be done. And and that could be a prayer that lasts 30 seconds, or in our prayer closet it could be one that lasts for 30 minutes. As long as we're praying true and authentic words to the Father, directed at the Father, and not toward fellow man, then, then, then God will hear our prayers. Notice the third point this morning. It is this, the model for prayer. There's the model for prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this. Most of your Bibles, if you look at the heading of this particular section of Scripture, it probably says the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? And, um, I want to know that's probably not the best term for this particular prayer because for two reasons. Number one, The Lord Jesus Christ would not have prayed this prayer because in this prayer, what does Jesus say? Forgive us our debts. Forgive us of our sins. Jesus was perfect and sinless. He had no need to pray and ask the Lord or his Father to forgive him. And another thing is in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where we also find the Lord's Prayer, one of the disciples asked Jesus, says, Jesus, teach us how to pray, as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And so the better terminology for this section of Scripture would be the disciples' prayer. And so this is how we are to pray as disciples. This, uh, this prayer is broken up into two sections. The first group of verses deal with God's glory, and the second deal with our good. So we pray not to make much of us, but to make much of our Father in heaven. In Psalm 115, 1, we read, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let's look at these seven um, subpoints together this morning. The first one is this, God's person. We read in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus tells us to pray and direct our prayer at our Father 
in heaven. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he emphasizes the fatherhood of God. What he is doing is he is emphasizing the approachability of our God. God is not some distant God somewhere out in the cosmos. God is ever-present in our midst. He is ever-present and ever-approachable. And we know this because Jesus Christ himself burst into human history and dwelt among us. So God is an approachable God. In Isaiah 41.10, we read, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is ever-present, my friends. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, Paul wrote this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is ever-present in our midst. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible is John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you and I place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment we repented of our sins and cried out to Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, at that very moment we became children of God. God is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. And God is approachable, my friends. And Jesus is making that ever clear in this particular passage of Scripture. Know this. Yes, God is approachable. But we also need to recognize that God is not our buddy. God is not our pal. God is not the man upstairs. Nor is God someone that we can summon out of a genie bottle. God is the creator of all things, and he is to be revered. And we are to come unto him with a sense of awe when we pray together. That is why Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. When you and I approach God our Father in prayer, there needs to be reverence and awe. You and I are not praying to our buddy. We are praying to the one true God who is sovereign over all things. He is holy, and he wants his holiness to be on display at all times in and through our lives. In Matthew 5, 48, Pastor Scripture that we looked at several weeks ago, it says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is what Jesus is calling us to. And then Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Hallowed be the name of our God. God's name is to be praised at all times. It is not to be cursed. It is not to be used in vain, but hallowed is the name of our God. We are to revere it and respect it. Notice the second sub point here. It is God's plan. God's plan. We read in Matthew 16, your kingdom come. When you and I pray for God's kingdom to come, what we are praying is we are praying, longing for the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns and establishes his physical kingdom right here on 
earth. I don't know about you, but I long for that day when Jesus Christ returns because on that day, read what's going to happen in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. We read this. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and then death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What a day that will be when Jesus Christ establishes his physical kingdom here on this earth. And what we are instructed to do as we pray is we pray longing for that day when Jesus is going to come and return and establish that physical kingdom here on earth. Notice the next sub point here. It's God's purpose. When we pray, we're not to pray for our will to be done, but what are we to do? We're to pray for God's will to be done done. To pray for God's will to be done is praying, acknowledging that God knows what is best for our lives. Sometimes that's hard to wrap our mind around, isn't it? Because we think we know what is best for our lives. We think that we are the ones sometimes that's all sovereign and that we can map out the path for our lives and we know what is best for our lives. I like what John Piper writes. John Piper wrote this, on the personal level, that must mean, Father, please cause me to obey your will the way the angels obey it in heaven. Help me to do your will flawlessly and to do it with the same fervency and undivided devotion that they have. Make my obedience a heavenly obedience, but on the worldwide level, The meaning is far greater. In heaven, there is nothing but obedience to the will of God. So when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that the earth would be filled with only people who do the will of God the way the angels do it in heaven. You and I are God's ambassadors. We are the, 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 the hands and feet of the Lord here on this earth. We are the ones that God has, has commissioned to go and to preach the good news, to make disciples, to baptize those that we come in contact with. We are the ones that God has set apart to go to help reconcile this broken world to our holy God. So as we go, we need to pray that God's will would be done as we advance throughout this life and not our will to be done because you and I are pretty selfish people. I know that I am a selfish person and oftentimes I will pray in such a way that, that it's all about me. It's all about my finances, all about my family, all about this church. And, and, and there is a time for us to pray in such a way, but first we pray for the will of God to be done. And when we pray for God's will to be done, then what's going to happen? Our desires and our wants and our needs are going to be um, in, 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 in relation to God's will for our lives. We're going to pray for God's will to be done in our lives in regards to our finances, in regards to our, our, our lives and homes and health and etc. 
We are not to pray selfishly for our fleshly wills to be done, but we are to pray for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So the first few points that we've looked at so far have dealt with God's glory. The next things that we're going to look at deal with our good. So notice with me the the fourth sub-point here. It's God's provisions. We read, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus twice references day in verse 11. What this tells us is that you and I are only guaranteed today. You and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed next week. We're not guaranteed next month, nor are we guaranteed next year. You and I are to live in daily dependence upon him. Most of us live with tomorrow in clear view, don't we? I mean, think about that. Most of us live with tomorrow in clear view more so than we live today. We live trying to secure our financial security or to ensure that our kids are going to have money whenever it's time for them to go off to college. Or we live for, to make sure that we have enough money when retirement comes along. Or we make sure that our, our companies are built for sustainability for the future. We don't live necessarily for today, do we? Most of us live with tomorrow in clear view. Being focused on tomorrow is not a bad thing, but to fail to live today to the fullest extent is missing the mark. Just as Israel, when they wandered around in the desert for 40 years, depended upon God daily for their food and substance, you and I too must depend upon God daily for all of our needs to be met. D.L. Moody wrote this, A man can no more take a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. God never gives his strength in advance. So let's stop crossing bridges before we come to them. Isn't that a good good statement right there? Let's stop crossing bridges before we come to them. I know a lot of times I cross bridges before I come to them. Um, We go on to read, the Heavenly Father will graciously supply our every need one day at a time. Don't try to bear tomorrow's burden with today's grace. Prayer should be more than a wish list. So if we pray as Jesus taught us, we'll do much more than say, our Father, give us. When we pray, we need to pray for daily sustainability, not for just selfish requests. Notice the next sub-point here is God's pardon We read in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Sin means to miss the mark. Every single one of us in this room on a daily basis sin, don't we? Every single day we make mistakes. We fall short of God's glory. Daily we fall short of the holy life that God so desires us to live. And when we fall short, we must ask God to forgive us of our sins. Yes, by God's grace we are saved. Yes, by God's grace we have been forgiven of our sins. But daily we still need to ask the Father to forgive us and to cleanse us and to purify us so that as we approach his throne in prayer, there is nothing that is hindering our line of communication with him. So we need to pray daily for God to forgive us. Notice what this passage also instructs us to do. 
Not only are we to seek God's forgiveness, but we are also to forgive others that wrong us. You know, as we looked at several weeks ago, that's, that's easier said than done, isn't it? When we think back to the law of retaliation, that, that back in the day it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Sometimes that's kind of how we want um, judgment to come down, isn't it? When someone wrongs us, we think that the punishment needs to be equal or greater. But what does Jesus tell us to do right here? He says, also, we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We need to be people that extend forgiveness just as we receive forgiveness from God the Father. Notice the next sub-point here. It's this, God's protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, as we've been reading through the book of Job together as a faith family, one thing that is very, very clear, Satan is real, isn't he? Satan is real, and he is roaming this earth, looking for opportunities to tempt us, looking for opportunities to suck us into his trap. And if we're not careful, then we can and will be sucked into his trap. That's why Jesus instructs us here to pray that we are not led into temptation, but we are delivered from evil. You know, temptation is going to come. Satan is going to come a-knocking. But the good thing about prayer and, and the amazing thing about God's word is God's word gives us this promise that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear and beyond what we can handle. When you think about the life of Job, and when we come back together tonight for our small group time, we're going to have an opportunity to walk through a little bit more in a, a more intimate way um, Job's life. You know, Job was, was, had everything stripped away from him, but he remained faithful and righteous. God did not allow him to be tempted beyond what he could bear. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's always a way out when Satan comes knocking. Okay, we need to pray that the Lord Jesus will protect us from temptation. And when temptation does come, he also, we have this guarantee that he will provide us a way out. And the last thing um, that we have here is this, last point, is God's promise. In verses 14 through 15, we read, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Notice that it is wrong for you and I to ask from God something we are not willing ourselves to give. We cannot ask God to forgive us and then turn around and hold a grudge against someone else and be unwilling to release them from the wrong or wrongs that they have done to us. We also have this clear promise from this passage of Scripture. If we are unwilling to forgive God will not forgive us. Folks, we need to be people that extend grace, just like grace has been extended to us. That's hard to do, as we looked at just a second ago, and we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That's hard sometimes. 
It's hard for me anyway, but you, you are probably a little bit more gracious and perfect than I am. Um, but, you know, I struggle sometimes in this area because I, I do believe that if someone wrongs me, then they should get, um, you know, there should, there should be consequences for that. But does God's word give us permission to do that? Absolutely not. We need to extend grace just as grace has been extended to us. I think all of us at one time or another have been unwilling to forgive someone else. So as we enter into our time of prayer, what did did we look at back in um, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount? If we recognize as we're we're offering up a gift to God and we realize that we haven't made amends with our brother, what are we to do? We're to leave the gift at the altar and go and make amends for that. Sometimes we need to make amends. So even this morning, if you realize that there is, um, there is a broken relationship that you have with your brother or your sister, and you need to get that right, you need to get that right. You know, if there's anything that will cause us, our relationship with the Father, to be hindered, it's unforgiveness in our own lives, unwilling to release someone else that has wronged us. So let's be people uh, that demonstrate grace in our lives. You know, here's a takeaway for this morning, and I don't know who put this together. This is just from an an unknown source um, pertaining to the disciples' prayer. But it says this, I cannot say our if I live only for myself. I cannot say father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say hallowed be your name if I am playing around with sin. I cannot say your kingdom come if I am not allowing God to reign in my life. I cannot say your will be done if I want my way all the time. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I am trusting in myself instead of in God's provisions. I cannot say forgive us our debts if I am nursing a grudge or withholding forgiveness from someone else. And I cannot say, lead us not in temptation if I deliberately place myself in its path. You know, this morning as we've walked through the, 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 the disciples' prayer, once again, this is not a prayer that, that we are instructed to pray on a daily basis. This is a model for us to use as we pray. And when we pray, we pray to God, our Father, who is in heaven. And we are to revere his name. We are not to use his name in vain. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come, longing for the day that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and establish his eternal kingdom here on earth. That could come in our lifetime, and I pray to God that it does come in our lifetime. And we need to live our lives in great anticipation as if his return is imminent. And we need to pray um, in, in such a way that... that, that um, we are asking for God to provide our daily sustainability. We pray for his will to be done and not our will to be done. If we have sin in our lives, we ask God to forgive us of that sin. If we have wronged our brother because of a sin done to us, then we are to forgive them for that. So this is a model for prayer. 
And so I pray that, that all of us will be more conscious as we pray on a daily basis. We're not praying selfishly, but we're praying in accordance with God's will. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, before we, um, we pray, you know, some of you may be here this morning and, and you recognize that there is unconfessed sin in your life. Let me just challenge you right where you're at right now. Ask the Lord to forgive you for that sin. If there is um, uh, unresolved conflict that has been the result of a wrong that has been done to you, ask God that he would reveal to you who that's between or with so that you can get that right. So that there's nothing hindering your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend eternity. You have no clue where you'd spend eternity. The Bible makes it clear how we can know where we will spend eternity. The first thing that we are to do is we are to repent of our sins. Sin means to miss the mark. God desires holiness from our lives. And if we've never asked God to forgive us of those sins, then we are living a life separated from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from God. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. When you and I repent of our sins then we are given this promise that we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, in a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. I invite you to come to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are awesome and that you are holy and that you are mighty and that you're creator of all things. You are sovereign over all of your creation. And Lord Jesus, we are so grateful, Father, that you have, have given us life. And Father, that you've allowed us to be a part of this particular time in human history so that we can represent you, so that we can be about preaching the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with. We can be about um, helping to reconcile this broken world to you, our holy God. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask, Father, this morning, Father, that you will, during this time of invitation, that you will show up that you will speak to the lives of every person in this room. And if there's anyone in this room, Lord Jesus, that have yet to enter into a relationship with you, I pray that today, Father, will be the day that they repent of their sins and they ask you to forgive them of their sins. I pray that today will be the day that they call out to you to be their Lord and the Savior of their lives. And Lord Jesus, we just ask right now during this time of invitation that you show up. And Lord, with a, with a heart that is open, may all of us during this time of invitation, Lord, if there's any unconfessed sin in our lives, may we, we lay that before your throne this morning. And Lord, if there's reconciliation we need to do, we want to do that as well. Father, show up now during this time of invitation and move. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.